Thank you so much, worship team. Uh, thank you for sharing your talents with us and just blessing us with such a great uh, praise service. Uh, I want to welcome you guys all to Rock Fellowship. So glad that you're here on this uh, dreary day. I'm so glad that you made the trip out, even though it's, has, the weather hasn't been as good as it's been lately. The, the rain is coming, so this is life now. All right, guys, let's just accept it. This is life now. We just have to we just have to accept it. Uh, we started a series a couple weeks ago, and it was called, it's called Open Handed, and the theme is generosity. But it's not generosity as uh, we often talk about generosity in church, about you know, giving and finances and trying to raise money for the church. It's different. It's, it's about thinking, speaking, and acting generously. Because the goal is not to make you or get you to do generous things. Because you all do that already. You guys give to things and causes and you support the church. And it's not about getting you to do generous things. It's about helping us to become generous people, to develop a generous character. And so for the last few weeks, we've been focusing on this topic, hoping that you will become more generous as human beings on this earth. I just feel like with everything going on in this world, generosity would go a long way. And it'd be a huge blessing for this world if there were more generous people. We talked about it in, in a couple different ways. But the first section, we focused on learning to think generously. And to do that, we shared three statements with the church. And, and we have this on our, our website and our podcast or our YouTube channel. So if you want to kind of get caught up and you want to go a little deeper on what we had talked about, please uh, uh, connect with us in that way. Um, but just a quick recap, the three statements to help us become more generous and think more generously are these three statements here. None of this is mine. So to think about all your stuff and say, you know what, this car, this house, this, these clothes, everything, none of this is really mine. And that's a biblical principle. The second is, I am a receiver of insane generosity, that everything I have has been given to me, so someone has been generous to me. And lastly, I have been blessed in order to bless. So these three statements, we want to encourage you guys to kind of keep with you, keep in your back pocket. Whenever you have those moments where like, should I be generous with somebody or in this way, I want you to remember these three statements. None of this is mine. So I can live more open-handedly. And we kind of went through an experience together in that first week that I thought was really powerful, to live open-handedly and what that felt like compared to living with a closed fist. Uh, to, to remember that we are receivers of insane generosity, every single one of us, we are who we are because someone gave to us. Whether that's God or your parents or your friends or a teacher or a pastor, someone gave to you and you became who you are. And someone is giving to you now and someone is giving to your kids. So we can be generous because we've received generosity. And lastly, we talked about last week the most, uh, the, the, uh, last week we talked about how to speak generously, which meant being relationally generous. And this went more than just giving people the benefit of the doubt, remember? It wasn't just about assuming, not assuming bad intentions. We talked about how relational generosity, what our world needs, what our relationships needs, is not people who will suspend judgment and not assume bad intentions, but people who will assume the best intentions. And we kind of thought about what would have happened in our relationships and in our arguments and our conflicts recently if both parties were able to assume the best intentions in those exchanges. And that was kind of the most practical message of the series. Now today we're going to end the series, and I had talked about last week how this is going to be the most challenging message of the entire series. The most challenging for me to preach, um, and it's going to be challenging for some of you, not everybody, but some of you to hear what I'm going to talk about today. Because we're going to be dealing with some sensitive areas and some uh, potentially 
painful moments of people's lives. So this is the most challenging, but this, if we get this, if, if something happens today from this message, things can really change for you if you are kind of the person that this message is really geared for. Now, uh, before we get into it, I want to preview what's coming up. So we're ending the series today, and starting next week, we're starting a brand new series. I love series. I like doing series, okay? And next week, we're starting a brand new series, and the series is called, I'm Going Through Something. And the reason why is because I feel like a lot of people are going through something. And this message is for people who are going through something. So we're going to spend a few weeks uh, starting next week on this idea of I'm going through something. So if you are going through something, if you're here in person, if you're watching online, by the way, welcome to our online audience. If you're Arizona, Alaska, LA, wherever, if you're going through something, we want you guys to be here because we're going to talk about things that I think will help you deal with what you're going through. Uh, it's going to talk about things that will help to give you hope because we're going to be basing it in Scripture and the Bible, and that's what the Bible often does. It gives us hope. So if you're going through something in this next series, it's going to be a really, really good experience for you, so we'd love to have you back. But as we uh, move on to today's message, I definitely want to pray because, like I said, this is challenging. It's tough, and it may be challenging for you right now, or you may be one of those people where it's not going to be challenging right now, but it's going to be challenging soon that things will happen maybe in the near future that you have no idea, and I don't know, but it will be challenging to remember these truths later. Okay, but let's pray right now, and let's invite God to, to guide us and to be with us now. Father in heaven, Lord, I, I want to give this time to you, and I want to give you full authority of this moment, um, that you would have authority over the listeners and me as the speaker, Father, and that your presence would be felt, God, and that we would hear and feel and experience your heart most of all, above all, through this message, Lord. Um, for the people who really need to hear this, God, I pray that you would break through. In your name we pray. Amen. Most people will have a time when they feel disappointed by God. Most people, not everybody. Not everybody will have this experience, but most people will have a time when they feel disappointed by God. I want to start with some honesty. That life is hard, and there will be a time in your life, and maybe you've already experienced it, maybe you're in it right now, where you feel disappointed by God. Because you prayed for something, and you prayed really hard, and you, you fully believed, and it didn't turn out the way that you would have liked. You were praying for someone and they were not healed, and you lost that person. You were praying for a job, or to get into a school, or a, a particular outcome on a test, or scores, or something, and you prayed, and you knew it was really important, but it just didn't turn out right. Where you were being obedient, and you felt like you were doing what God told you to do, and then you're in a worse situation now. When you're confused and you look to God for answers and all you hear is silence. And you go to the Bible and you read and you're like, I don't get this. What does this even mean? Where is God right now? Or you go to a pastor or a religious leader or an elder and you have these questions and confusion and they can't answer the questions satisfactorily for you. There will be moments for many people, most people, where you will feel disappointed by God. That's just life. And like I said, some of you guys are in it right now. Some of you guys have been in it for a really, really long time. 
But you know what? In the Bible, this is all over the place. There are so many people in the Bible who had the same experience. I know we look at the Bible and we're like, oh, those people had faith, they believed in God, and they were like so righteous. But actually, if you look at so many of the stories, many people had moments and seasons where they were disappointed by God, where they weren't sure where God was, and they were asking him to show up, and he wasn't. One of the famous stories in the New Testament, in the Gospels, is when one of Jesus' closest friend, Lazarus, is sick, and his family is waiting for him to come and heal him, because Jesus healed a bunch of people, but he comes, but he comes too late, and his friend dies. And those people, what do they say to Jesus? If only you were here. God, if Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever found yourself saying something like that to God? If only you did something, God, something would have changed and didn't have to be like this. If you look at the book of Psalms, there's 150 Psalms. Did you guys know that 50 of them, one-third, are Psalms that talk about people complaining to God and asking him where he is? It's people who are feeling disappointed, by God. I want to share a couple with you, just a few verses. In Psalm 13, 1, 2, listen to the complaint here. Listen to the heart of the psalmist here. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Where are you, God? This is in the Bible. This is in the part of the Bible that's supposed to be the worship and praise songs of the Bible. One-third of them are like this. Psalm 79, this is even crazier. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of contempt to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. Look what's happening, God. How could you let this happen? That's the underlying question of this verse. How could you let this happen? It's so, so bad. And where are you? And these are questions that people are answering these days, especially the past year and a half. Where's God in all of this? Most people will have a time in life where you feel disappointed by God. And what you have to know, what you have to understand here, is that this is common in Scripture. Because... This may be news to you. This may be uh, the first time you're hearing this, but you got to hear this, especially if you're new to the faith. This is something you really have to understand. And even if you've grown up in the church, you may have believed something that actually wasn't right, and it sets you up, you set you up for disappointment. You have to understand something about Christianity. Christianity is not a worldview that ever promises a situationally better life. Christianity... Jesus, God, never promises, if you follow me, everything in your life will be good. Never promises that. Never. That's why I wrote situationally. I believe Jesus offers a better life, an abundant life, as he says, but it's not situational. It's not circumstantial. It's not stuff in your life is going to be better. Like, you're going to get the job, you're going to get the girl, or you're going to get the guy. It's not like that. So the question is, why follow Jesus then? Like, why should I even engage in this thing called Christianity? Why should I read the Bible? Why should I be a Christian or a follower of Jesus if, like, my life is not actually going to get better? Things aren't going to happen. You see, Jesus never promised to make your life better situationally, but what he does promise you, what Christianity does promise, is that you will never, ever be alone in that. 
that you will never, ever be alone as you go through those things. And Jesus promises, I will be with you. And he promises to see you through all the bad stuff. That's what Christianity really promises. And so you could understand, if God never promised that he, wouldn't just, he would just take care of everything, there are going to be moments in the Bible, as in real life, where people are like, what is going on, God? I thought, this, I thought you were supposed to protect me. I thought you were supposed to watch over me. Like, how am I supposed to respond to this? Now, what you have to understand is in those moments, when you have those times where you're like, I don't know what's happening, and you're starting to feel that disappointment to God, you're starting to ask those questions, God, where are you? God, why is this happening? How could you let this happen? Those moments are an opportunity. Those moments are an opportunity to be generous to God. And that's what we're talking about today. We've been talking about generosity mostly with other people and other things like that. But today we're talking about how do we be generous with God? Have you ever thought about that? How do we be generous with God? And don't worry, I'm not talking about your money. I'm not talking about donating to church. How do we be spiritually, emotionally, relationally generous with God? Every moment you have that time where you're like, I'm feeling disappointed is an opportunity to choose to be generous with God, to be open-handed with God, to surrender to God, or it's an opportunity to close your fist and be narrow-minded in your perspective. Every time you feel disappointed is an opportunity for that. And so we want, I want to explore the idea of, of generosity, but what we also never really think about is in those moments when you're deciding, should I be generous with God? Or should I be closed-fisted with God? There is more at stake in that decision than you think. And we're going to get to that at the very end of today's message. There is a lot at stake in those moments when you feel disappointed by God, how you will respond. But I want to take a, a, a few moments to, to understand what it means to be generous with God. Part of it is what we talked about last week. The way we can be generous with God is the same way we can be generous with people. Last week, we talked about not just giving the benefit of the doubt, but assuming best intentions. That's like kind of another way of talking about faith or trust. Faith in God is regardless of what has happened to me, God, I believe and trust that you have the best intentions for me and for my life. That you are for me. I believe that because that's what the word says. So this is what the Bible says. In Psalm 50, 56, 9, Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. In Romans chapter 8, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So this is true. God is for you. Can I get an amen on that? God is for you. He is on your side. He is in your corner. He is for you. So to assume God's best intentions as he is for me, that is a form of generosity to God. That even though something bad happened, I can trust that he has best intentions in mind. But that's something I feel like most of you probably already knew. What we want to really focus on today is there is another way to be generous to God that most of us have no idea is actually a way to be generous to God. We're going to talk about a way that, that seems actually paradoxical. It sounds counterintuitive, but it is biblical, and it is a way that people have been able to be generous to God and then to experience what God would do through them. That's what we're going to get to at the very end. See, there is a way to be generous to God that most of us shy away from. We don't really think about. We don't really do this. We don't really know how to do it. But it, in fact, is generosity to God. And it's not faith. 
It's not trust. It's not worship songs. It's not necessarily prayer in the way we think of prayer. It's something I talked about a couple weeks ago when I was leading praise. It's called the lament. The lament. The lament is a way of being generous to God. Now, some of you guys are like, what, what is that? What is the lament? Those psalms that we read earlier, 13 and 79, those are laments. Those are times when you, are, you meet God, but things are really going wrong. And it's about how to respond to God in those times, in the seasons of life where you are disappointed by him or you don't understand him. What the laments are, and there's, like I said, one-third of the psalms are laments. One-third, 50 out of 150 psalms are laments. And there's one book of the Bible. It's called Lamentations. And all it is is laments. It's the book of the Bible that no one ever reads. It's the one that you don't want to do your devotions. It's the one where you get to it, you're like, oh, man, can I just skip this? It's the one with a bunch of verses where you can't put it on a mug, and you can't put it on a T-shirt, and you don't put it on a mission statement, and you don't put it on a retreat T-shirt, right? Like, these are not the fun ones. These are not the ones that make you feel good, but this is the Lamentations. And this is a huge part of biblical spirituality. This is a huge part of how people in the Bible related to God. Why? Because there were bad things happening to them all around. They didn't live in some fairyland where everything was good or they were just pretended everything was good. They knew that life was hard and they needed to be able to respond to God in a way that was healthy when life was hard. Do you have a way to respond to God in a healthy way when life is hard? When someone gets sick or you lose a loved one or something is terrible happening in your life, something at work or at school, do you know how to respond to God in a healthy way? That's what laments do. Laments teach us how to suffer well. And if you really think about it, that's something we all need to learn how to do, don't you think? Because bad things are coming no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter where you live, bad things happen. Disappointment happens. We need to learn to suffer well. We need to learn to suffer well with Jesus. And that's what the laments do. What the laments are basically, to simplify them, the laments are protesting and processing. Protesting and processing. The laments are people saying, this is not right, God. What I see in the world, what I see in my life, this is not okay. It's bringing attention, God's attention, even though he already knows, it's actively bringing God's attention to a situation that you believe is wrong. It is not okay, God. How could this be happening? How could this situation be like that? That's what the laments do. But it's also processing it's processing your emotions through the struggles, through the pain. It's processing your doubt and your confusion through the pain. It, it, it's, it's, it's processing and, and it's venting and it's, it's showing your anger and you're upset and you're mad and you're unhappy and you're sad and you're saying, I'm not going to pretend with you, God, anymore. I'm going to bring my real self. I'm going to tell you what I'm really struggling with, and I'm angry, and I'm mad. I don't like this. I don't like that person. I don't like what happened. It's a way to bring this to God and process your struggle with him. Come on, we all know the beauty and the value of processing. 
talking through stuff, having, having, having someone to talk about with all these different things that are going on in our lives. Like, we know the value. And you've experienced this, right? Like, you, in, in, even though you may not know what lamenting was, you've done this and you've experienced the power of it, right? If you guys have ever, and you don't have to raise your hand, have you ever gone through a breakup, a breakup, and then when in your sadness you, you found your song? You know, some of you guys have a breakup song, huh? I'm not going to ask you what it is, although I'm super curious what your breakup songs were. For me, Tony Braxton, <laughs> Unbreak My Heart. All right, all the people who grew up in the 90s, you know what I'm talking about. That song, that song gets you, man, right? It's like that moment when you're like, you're so sad, and you have grief, and like you don't know how to express it, so you turn on a song, and you're like, yes. Tony, she understands me. Like, she feels my pain, right? And, like, there is, like, healing and therapy in that, isn't it? When, when you listen to a song that truly reflects your heart, that, that, that pain that you're going through, like, you can't in that moment listen to some happy song. Like, you can't listen to Pharrell happy song, right? You can't listen in that moment. You have to listen to something gut-wrenching, right? And some of you guys who are into Korean music, man, Korean music does this really well. That gut-wrenching, like, painful song. There's healing when you like listen to that. That's lament. And that's what these laments are. They're like those, those songs that you, you found healing in because they used words to describe and explain things that you were feeling that you, didn't, you couldn't express yourself. And you've all experienced probably the power of when you're going through something and talking to somebody, venting. Some of you guys are really good at this. Some of you guys are really good at venting to people. And you know that you need it. You know that if you don't vent, you're going to explode. That's what lamenting is. It's just taking that idea of the pain and the suffering and the doubt and the confusion and bringing it to God and being willing to share that with him. And that shows us how we can learn to suffer, suffer well. You know, people do this all throughout the Bible. They bring their complaints to God. They protest against God. How could you do this? And they talk about how they're feeling and how sad they are, and they feel like they've been pierced by arrows and stuff like that. And then, they, and, then they, and then they say things to God that they don't mean, and they ask God to do things that they know is wrong. All throughout the Bible. All throughout the Psalms. They tell God to do stuff that they don't really mean. They're like, they don't really want it, but that's what they're feeling in that moment. And here's what you guys got to understand about lamenting, about going to God in this way. Laments are not looked down on in the Bible. Never. Laments are never looked down on in the Bible. They are upheld and explained and described in a way like this is life. This is life with God. This is a part of it. And we shy away from it in church. We don't really have lament songs when we do praise. We focus on the victory and the triumph and it's great and it's positive. But life is not always great, is it? Life is not always positive and happy and praise the Lord and hallelujah. Sometimes life is, how could you do this? How long do I have to live like this, God? It's painful and it's hard. But what's interesting is like when we do the laments, the way people do it, lamenting, on the surface, it doesn't seem very generous with, to God. It seems kind of like rude. And it seems kind of like, yo, man, you're kind of arrogant. How can you talk to God 
like that. But actually, it's so strange because this is how we are generous to God. Right, like the laments, you can't really do this to people. Okay, like it's not really generous to people to talk to them like the way people talk to God. For example, right, let me show that verse before. Like what if you talk to people in your life like this? You'll see that this is not a very generous way to talk to people. How long, Tracy, Tracy's my wife, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Tracy, my wife. Give me light to my hours or I will sleep in death. That's not a very generous way to talk to people. That's kind of like, okay, you're kind of overdramatic and you're kind of crazy. What about this one? Mother and father, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me because of your wrath. There is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. Like, this is not very generous to people. You can't really talk to people like that. But God loves this. God loves this. He loves this. Because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, because this is honest. And time and time again in Scripture, God just like, be honest with me, guys. I don't care about the sacrifices. I don't care about the bulls. I don't care about the sheep. I just want you to be honest with me. What we learn about of God in the laments, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is that God can handle your honesty. And what this means, what this really means, when I say God can handle your honesty, it means that when you are honest with God, he will not change the way he sees you. When you are honest with him, he will not be like, whoa, I didn't know that's how they were. They were really thinking that? That's crazy. I don't know if I can hang out with them anymore. But that's what we do. Right? We as human beings, uh, we as imperfect human beings, we, we hear, some, we, we talk to someone, they're fully honest with us, and you're like, oh man, and now you feel uncomfortable. And now you're like, I'm not sure we can really be close friends anymore like we once were. Something has happened and has changed the relationship. That doesn't happen with God. When we say God can handle your honest, that means if you are fully honest, you will not change the way he thinks, sees you. It will not change the way he thinks about you, and it will not stop him from loving you just because you're honest. So this is actually how we can be generous to God. That's really the first thing, how to be generous with God. The first thing is be honest with him, brutally honest with him, brutally. Tell him what you really are going through. Tell him the stuff that you hope that no one ever hears. Tell him the stuff that you're worried that if people found out that you thought this and wondered this and did this and, 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 and were confused in this way or the questions that you've asked, you knew that if that got out, people might see you differently. Bring that to God. Bring those things that you want to say but you feel like you can't. Or bring those things that even you want to say that you don't even really mean, but that's just how you're feeling in that moment. See, to approach God in honesty is generous. To approach God as you really are, going through what you're going through, that is generous. Because the other way is saying, God, you can't handle my honesty. 
And that is not a generous way to approach God. You can't deal with my stuff. No one can. So be brutally honest with God with all the things that you are dealing with, all the things that you are struggling with. If you think about it, man, this is all over Scripture. All the spiritual leaders, all the spiritual giants had moments like this when they were brutally honest with God. This is how we can be generous with him. The second way, again, this is like not really a way you can be generous with people, but fight and struggle with him. Fight and struggle with him. Some of the most significant spiritual figures in the Bible fought and struggled with God. Moses, he fought and struggled with God. He literally had arguments with God. God said, I'm going to do this. And then Moses said, no, don't do that. And he's like, I'm going to do it. He said, no, 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 don't do it. Think about this. He argued and struggled with him. Jacob, one of the other fathers of, of, of our faith and, and our belief in, in the Old Testament, he literally wrestled and physically struggled with God. Jesus, on this earth, before he went to the cross, he struggled with God in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, God, I, I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through with this. This is so painful. Thankfully, he said, not yet not my will, but yours be done. But he struggled. His own son, Jesus, struggled and was honest with God. They fought with God. Fighting with God. Struggling with God is being generous with God. Bringing those questions to God is generous. Bringing your confusion, because that's what happens oftentimes. Pain and struggle is often followed by questions and doubt. Do you feel like you can bring your doubts to God? God, I thought you were this way, but this happened in my life. What's going on? To come to God with those questions, to come to God with the struggles, that is generous. Although, like with people, maybe not so, right? It's maybe not so generous to fight and struggle with people and argue. That's not generous. But with God, he's like, bring it on. Bring it to me. I want to hear it. Let's fight. Let's struggle. Let's talk this out. Let's work through this. Bring those questions that you think are, 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 are wrong to ask. Bring those questions that you, you, you feel like you're not supposed to have. Bring them to me. Struggle with me. I think for so many people, what we often do when we are in this place, especially if you grew up in the church, okay, the longer you grew up in the church, the more likely you are to do this. To have that issue and just pretend like everything's okay. And pretend like everything's fine. Like, no, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Like, oh, yeah, that's like, I don't know. I don't know about that, but you just kind of dismiss it. I'm sure somebody knows the answer. I'm sure the pastor knows, but I don't want to bother him. He's busy. He's got lots to do. I don't have to give him, I don't have to bother him with my time. This question, I, it's a doubt I have. It's confusing. And I don't really understand, but it's fine. It's fine. I don't need to really worry about that. That is not generous to God. God says, bring it to me. Let's figure it out. And it may take time, and it may not be easy, and it might be hard, but I want you to struggle with me. I want you to bring your confusion, and I want you to bring your doubt. Do what people often do on the other side of that is either you, you kind of dismiss it, or you kind of pretend everything's okay, or everything's going to be fine, or you walk away, and you give up on God, and you don't engage, because you're hurt, and it's painful, and I understand that. 
But that is not generous either. Neither of those is a generous way to approach God. The generous way to approach God is to be honest with him, to engage with him, to struggle and fight with him. And I know these are strong words, especially if you're going through something. And you may be thinking, Chris, you don't know what I'm going through. Like, this is really, really rough, man. Like, you don't know what, you don't know my life, and you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I experienced when I was a kid. You don't know about the pain and the trauma that's in me. Like, you don't, you don't get that. And you're right, I don't. And if I was in your shoes and whatever happened to you happened to me, there's probably a really good chance that I would have the same questions, the same issues. I might have walked away just like you did. That's very possible. I totally, totally understand that. But the reason I'm talking about this, the reason I'm talking about being generous with God is because of what's at stake. What hangs in the balance? What hangs in the balance between being generous and closed-fisted, open-handed or narrow-minded? What's, what hangs in the balance? See, what's at stake is bigger than you know. What's at stake is bigger than maybe you think. Remember those, those, those laments that I, I showed you before, Psalm 13, where it was like, how long will you like forget me? How long? Like all that stuff. I want to fast forward to the end of that, that lament. And look what it says at the end of that lament in Psalm 13, verse 5 and 6. This is the end, right? It was like, like where are you, God? You don't hear me. Can you please care about me again? Where are you? Like that whole thing. And in Psalm 13, verse 5 and 6, it ends with, but... I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Right? If I showed you these two verses and didn't explain it, you would think that these are from completely different psalms. But that first song where there was so much pain and there was so much hurt and so much sorrow, where it's like, how long do I have to live with this pain? In the end, at the end of the lament, it concludes by saying, let me put it on the screen one more time, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Like, what? What happened? What happened between verse 1 and 2 and 5 and 6? And then that other verse, the other, the other lament from Psalm 79 was like, this world is so messed up. The enemies have destroyed. There's blood everywhere. And like, it's horrible, God. How can this be? Look at the end of this, of this lament in Psalm 79, verse 13. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will proclaim your praise. What we have to understand about being generous with God, about the practice of lamenting and being this, engaging with God in this way, in honest ways, fighting and struggling with him, is what, what hangs in the balance, what's at stake at the very end, is healing. It's healing through the lament the person went from pain and sorrow, and I know it's really fast-forwarded, and his life is not like that, but so many of the psalms of lament start in this sorrowful, hurt place, but will end in healing. It ends in hope and ends with change. So this is why I'm talking about this. It's not because I, I want you in church, because we need more members in this church. It's because what hangs in the balance is the healing that you've been longing for your entire life. It's the hope that you haven't had since that happened in your life. 
And maybe the reason you haven't been healed, maybe the reason you haven't felt hope is because you've just walked away from the source of hope. And I understand because it's painful and you got to do that and you need a break. I, I get that. But in this process, in this experience of lamenting to God, we are reconciled to Him. And when we are reconciled to our Heavenly Father, He can begin to heal us. Right? It's like a, a weird experience because it's like, God, I'm mad at you. And I'm unhappy because I'm mad at you. I'm angry and sad and we are disconnected and I live in this. But if I were to only come back, you would offer healing to me. But it's too hard for me to come back. So what hangs in the balance is peace, is healing, is hope. And that's why I want you guys to be generous with God. Not for God's sake for yours bring your sorrow bring your pain bring your baggage to me come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest peace hope healing hangs in the balance the disciple Peter he was one of Jesus' closest friends and among all the disciples, you could say that Peter was the most honest with Jesus because he always got in trouble, because he always said the wrong thing, and it's all recorded in the Bible for eternity. Like, everyone knows all of Peter's mess-ups. He was honest with him. In fact, there were times where he argued with him. When Jesus said, I am the Son of Man, and I have to come and die and be resurrected, Peter said, no, not on my watch, God. And then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're my enemy. You're my opponent if you get in my way. Peter was completely honest with God. And this is what he said years later in his life as he was writing a letter to the church. He says to them, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You cannot cast your anxieties if you're not honest about your anxieties. You can't give him your hurt for God to heal if you're not honest about your hurt and your pain. That word for anxiety, that's translated anxiety, it actually means, it's, it's from the root word that means divided or broken. And what he's talking about is everything in your life that has fractured and divided you. Anything in your life that has broken you. Anything in your life that is fracturing and dividing your mind, take that and cast it, throw it, dump it on God. Why? Because he cares for you. Bring me your junk is what God is saying to you right now in this moment. Don't pretend everything's okay when it's not. Fight with me. Struggle with me. I will give you rest. I will give you peace. And I will heal that pain in your life. This is why I want you to be generous with God, with your Heavenly Father. Because healing is on the other side of the lament. So I want, you, I want to invite you guys, if this is kind of where you are in your life, if maybe you've been going through something and you've been having issues with God and you just haven't really talked about it, 
If you have questions and concerns and doubts and confusion and you don't understand, if you're hurt and you're angry about something and you haven't really brought it to you, I want, I want us to have a moment for that. So I want to invite you guys, if that's where you are, just to close your eyes with me. And I just want you to follow with me. You don't have to say it out loud, just in your mind. Just kind of engage with me as I pray this prayer for those of you who are hurting and who need healing in your life. God, I don't understand why it happened. God, I don't understand what I did to deserve it. Or I don't understand why that had to happen to my loved one bothers me and I'm mad about it God and I haven't wanted to talk to you about it because I don't want to blame you because that doesn't seem alright but I just got to be honest I'm in a bad place Lord and I don't know if you're going to give me the answer right now or later but what I do know is that the answer is in you so I got, still got questions, I still got doubt, I still have pain, but I'm going to stay here, right with you. And I want you to walk with me through it. I want to walk with you and ask that you guide me through it, even though it's so hard. And if you have to, carry me and pick me up. And I'm going to fight you on this stuff, God. I'm going to bring you these questions but I know you can take it. And I know that you will still love me through it. So Father, thank you for this message. As we conclude the series, God, I pray that you would make us more generous people. Not just with our money and our time, but with people in our lives. And especially with you, God. Father, there's some of us, for lack of a better term, need to forgive you for things we blame you for. And I pray, God, that this moment might be the start of that healing. Thank you, God, for hearing us today. Thank you that you can handle our honesty. And Father, thank you for the hope that we have in you. In your name we pray.